I want you to turn today, if you will, to Mark chapter 13, or you can turn to Luke chapter 21. Take your pick. They'll say the same. Mark chapter 13 and verse 31, or Luke chapter 21 and verse 33. Must be so important it's repeated twice, word for word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Spoken from the mouth of the blessed Savior, and uh, I don't know how we could ever, ever find a portion of scripture that tells us more the significance of our belief in the Bible than what Jesus has instructed us in these two verses. I've been preaching a series of sermons on does it matter what you believe? Does your beliefs really matter? Does your belief system really matter? And I'm dealing with the subject today is does it matter what you believe about the Bible? Because really, if we don't have the Bible as the foundation of all of it, all of our other beliefs are in vain because every doctrine, every precept that we have, every philosophy that we have concerning Christianity, it all should be based from the Bible. Why do you think there's such a tremendous force against people to read the Bible? Because the devil wants to lure everyone away to try to keep them out of the word of God. He'd love for the word of God to be taken out of pulpits. He'd love for the word of God never to be mentioned in public. He'd love for the word of God to just be a book on the shelf that nobody opens and nobody reads. At the beginning of every year, I always encourage all of our congregation and all of the people that I minister to, to have a daily Bible reading plan. You may not be a, a reader that you can read a lot and, and read swiftly, but you should still try to read some of the word of God every day of your life. It should be the premise of every belief that you have. The reason that so many people no longer want to read the word of God is because there's verses in the Bible that if I just stood up here and read them today, there would be people walk out the back door and never come again. Because the word of God cuts us. It convicts us. And we think if we stay away from the word of God, then when we meet God in judgment, we'll, we'll be able to give the excuse, I didn't know, but that's no excuse. The Bible is readily at hand for all of us today. We have access to the word of God. And the question is not, is the word of God available? The question is, do we really believe what the Bible says? If you have the word of God, there's not an enemy that you cannot defeat. There's not a problem that you cannot solve. There's not a sin that you can't find the answer to and forgiveness of. There's, there's not a time in your life where the fellowship has been broken that it can't be restored by the word of God. It removes all of our doubts. Years ago, I pinned down several things about the Bible. And I just want to remind you again today. The Bible is the mind of God. 
And it not only tells us the mind of God, but it tells us about the state of man. It tells us about the doom of sinners. It tells us of the way of salvation. And it tells us about the happiness of heaven. Its doctrines are pure. Its precepts are binding. Its history is true. We should fill our mind with his word. His word should rule our heart and the Bible should guide our feet. The Bible is a light to guide you. It's food to feed you. It's comfort to cheer you. The Bible is a mine of wealth. It's a river of joy and a paradise of pleasure. We should read it slowly. We should read it frequently and we should read it prayerfully. We should see that the word of God was given to us in life. It will be opened in judgment and also it will be remembered through all eternity because heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall not pass away and it'll endure forever. It involves the highest responsibilities that we have in life. It rewards the greatest labor and condemns all that oppose it. Let's get this right. You can't break the word of God, but the word of God can break you. It's a mighty rock that if you fall on it, you're the one that will get injured by it. It will show you your weaknesses because its power and might is greater than anything that we've ever heard or that we'll ever hear in all of our life. It's the pilgrim's stab. It's the pilot's compass. It's the traveler's map. Read it to be wise, practice it to be holy, and believe it to be saved. And if you don't believe what the Bible says, you cannot be saved because we base our salvation on the word of God. So this is not just another book. This is not just a good book. This is the book of all the ages, the king of all books. And this book will endure when everything else has passed away. It is a wonderful book. You know, it is amazing in its construction. Have you ever thought about how your Bible that you hold in your hand came to be? It didn't just haphazardly come into being. It was a period of some 1,500 years and more than 40 authors writing in three different continents from all aspects of life, writing about what we call the Word of God. Can you imagine through all of that time, through this 1,500 years, how that it has now stood the test of time? Parts of it was referenced to the time before this earth began through prophecy and Moses looking back in the Pentateuch, writing about how this world came to be. Our very ideas and thoughts and, and the very things that, that guide our practice concerning creation, we find out about it in the word of God. Parts of it are 5,800 years old. 5,800 years old. Do you know that when you think about how God took all of these people over 1,500 years, writing in every form and fashion. They wrote about literary writing, there's poetic writing, there's law inside of it, prophecy inside of it, how he constructed it all together over 1,500 years. Let me put it this way. Suppose you pick 40 different theologians and you tell all 40 of those theologians, we want you to write something down about theology. And at the end of 1500 years, pull it all together and have one book that writes about one God 
that says the same thing that didn't change over 1,500 years. It's still the same, and I'm glad to say the same Bible I started preaching from many years ago is still the same Bible I preach from today. So with its construction, how God brought it all about, it's something that we shouldn't tinker with. It's something that we shouldn't change. This Bible was given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed through the ages of time. It will stand because it came from the very breath of God, which is the life of God. And through the word of God, we find everything that we need. It's wonderful in its construction. Written from these three different continents, they wrote in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, but still wrote about the same thing. Can you imagine transcribing or going through transliteration of two other languages and writing about the exact same thing? I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's amazing in its construction, how God brought it together piece by piece, bit by bit, but in the end, it still has one central theme and his name is Jesus. If I preach a million messages in a lifetime, it would not compare to what could be said about this one we call Jesus and the riches of his word and the truth from his word. So with its construction, you have to base your life and your belief system on the fact this book was written by God. It's God's word. It is amazing in its construction and it's also thrilling in its preservation how God has preserved this book. Why? Other books, they come, they go. You see it right now, they're purging books. Everywhere, history books being purged, taken away because something inside of it somebody didn't like, so let's just throw it away. They've tried to get rid of the word of God every way they can. They've tried to take it out of our society, they've tried to take it out of the schools, and now they're trying to take it out of the churches. Thousands of pulpits in America today will not have a single verse of scripture mentioned. No mention to the God of the Bible. No mention of the plan of salvation. No mention about doctrinal things. You know why? Because they don't believe the Bible. I read, a, I read an article, thesis, uh, uh, probably a week or so ago while I was doing more study on this particular subject. And I ran across one of the renowned supposed theological professors in the nation right now at what was one time a very fundamental Christian school, Bible school and seminary. And now this professor says that you can't depend on the Bible, that it's not reliable, that there's many parts of it that's false. And I thought the only false thing I'm reading is what you wrote. Just because it didn't work for you, it's maybe because of your unbelief in it. Because he only regards those that takes his word as pure and true. And that's how we see something happen. That's our problem. The enemy knows how to stack everything up to make it look like you can't trust it and you've got to doubt it. And the world's crying out. They're asking us, why do you believe that? Too late to tell me now, it don't work. I know that it works. See, we become, we become so defiant to anything supernatural. 
Now, it's fine to believe in supernatural when it comes to witches and when it comes to occult. People have no problem with that. But when you start talking about the supernatural with God, they have a hard time with that. I read a testimony again today that was written many years ago. It was from one of the missionaries that had been working in China years ago when they were open to take the gospel in before the mainland closed down and cut off the power of the gospel. There was a particular missionary that he was blessed also to be a medical doctor. And in that time, there was such a great need in China of not only hearing the word of God, but also people needing medical attention. There was a couple that had had four children. All four children got sick. In a matter of days, three of them died. They all, each one had the same symptoms, terrible fever. They couldn't get the fever down. They tried to do everything they could. And now the youngest, the baby, is about to die. They call in the local professional, which of course believed in a lot of mysticism. And they said, the baby is full of evil spirits. And they warmed up a hot iron and they were going to burn the baby to get the evil spirits out. Thank God my Bible teaches me something better than that. It almost happened until something inside of the mother said, absolutely not. And she stopped it. The, the priest of this false religion said, then it's hopeless. Your child will die. It has an evil spirit. A few minutes later, someone came and said, he's on his way, he's on his way. And they said, who's on his way? And they said, the Jesus man. That was the only terminology they had. It was this missionary that was a medical doctor. He had passed through their village three years earlier and suddenly out of nowhere, he felt compelled to go back into that vicinity and someone came and told him about this family that three of the children had died and one was about to die. And when the medical doctor got there, they said to the mother, he's here. The Jesus man is here. And of course, they're referring to the man that believed that Jesus could do anything. She remembered him passing through the village. Three years later, she had, she had cast off his teaching and wouldn't believe what he was preaching. But now she needed his help. She welcomed him into her home. She begged, she pleaded, she cried. He examined the child and realized they were doing everything all wrong. What he needed more than anything, he didn't have. He gave some medicine that he had, but he felt like they needed some ice. They were in an area that there had never been ice that had fallen from the sky ever that anyone could ever remember. And he said to the mother, said, I'm sorry, I've done all that I can. You need some ice. And it's three days journey back to the city to get ice. And by the time I get back, your child will be dead. And she said, wait a minute, didn't you tell me three years ago that your Jesus could do anything? He said, yes, I did. She said, well, why don't you pray and ask him to give you ice? 
He was embarrassed and he bowed on his knees and reluctantly started praying and he was hesitant to say the word because it seemed impossible. Isn't it something when we hit something that seems so impossible, how reluctant we suddenly are to believe the word of God. But the more he prayed, the more in tune with heaven he got. And soon the sweet presence and power of the Holy Spirit filled the room. And he said, he started to pray with boldness like he'd never prayed before, coming boldly into the throne of grace and saying, nothing, Lord, except a miracle will do. We have no ice. We need ice, Lord. You're the God of heaven and earth. You control it all. You can supply this need. I'm believing you for it and I'm claiming your promise. Give us what we need. While he's praying, suddenly the skies grow dark and it gets as black as can be outside and a cloud moves in and a storm comes and the winds blow. The Chinese are running everywhere in fear, but out of nowhere, the thunder claps and out of the heavens, hailstones start falling down and they pepper the ground. He runs out with a basin, gathers up the ice and God spares the life of a child. I'm telling you, it's time that we understand God's word is true. He can do anything, anything. He's preserved his word for this generation. And it is thrilling to watch the preservation of the word of God. Voltaire said, I will live to see the death of Christianity. Christianity will be obscure in 50 years. The very house he lived in was used to store Bibles. The very printing press he used was used to print the word of God later. Go ahead with your ways of being an infidel and an atheist or an agnostic, but one day you'll see him face to face and you're going to have to answer the God of this universe, the God who in mercy and love has made a way for you to be saved and you've rejected him. It's thrilling in its preservation. Do you know that it is rare if a book lives past one year? Out of every thousand books that are written, only one will still be circulated a year later. Only one. In half a century, only one out of 50,000 will still exist. They'll perish. Out of that 50,000, only one will still be looked at and read in a year. You hold in your hands today the precious word of God that's preserved the ages of time and skeptics have beat against it. But I'm here to tell you today, it is the word of God. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God. You can build your life on it, your hopes on it, your dreams on it, everything that you need in life. You can find it all inside this blessed book we call the Bible. Get it down off the shelf and dust it off and read it. Thank God this is better than anything else you ever find in life. What thus saith the Lord. And then too, it is precious in its revelation. The word of God reveals so much to us that sometimes we overlook what it reveals. Do you know, it, it not only reveals things to believers, but to unbelievers as well. 
There's precepts in this Bible that if you practice those precepts, they'll work whether you're saved or not. Because God's word is true and he's always true to his word. Look back to the age of, you know a lot of our early founders here in America, you, you probably know from history, and I don't want to bore you today, but a lot of them, they were deists. A lot of them really weren't Christians as we know Christianity. They just recognized a deity and that deity was God. And that's why when we say this nation was founded on the principles of God, that doesn't mean all of our founders were Christians. But even as unbelievers, they read the Bible and knew enough about the Bible that if they didn't have a testimony as far as a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they still had a confession for the word of God because a lot of them built their life and their principles on the Bible. I don't know how many of them were saved and how many weren't. And I'm not about to pretend that, uh, that everyone that I mentioned to you today in this short sermon that I'm sharing with you, that if all of these people were saved or not, but it doesn't change the fact on the point that I'm making. The word of God reveals things to saint and sinner alike. For example, do you know if you're a sinner, if you tithe, God will bless you because he didn't, he didn't constrict it or put restraints on it to just believers. Well, that didn't go over well. But it's a principle that works. I have friends that are in business, and this is not exaggerated. I wouldn't call their names out. I don't want to embarrass them. But years ago, they weren't Christians. I've tried all of these years to persuade them to turn to Christ. And many of them still haven't persuaded, have been persuaded to turn to Christ. But years ago, they would come to me and some ask for advice about giving. And I taught them the principle of tithing. I better move on. I say it a lot. I've been doing this now 46 years. I know when I'm doing good and when I'm not. And this isn't setting well at all. You better shout out amen or you're, you're showing your guilt today. I know who's tithing and who's not. And they wanted to know in their business, what would you do if you were in business? That's the first thing I would do as a business. I would tithe just like an individual. Their business has prospered and grown and to this day, they're tithing in church and don't let me mislead you. I never have told anyone if you give, you'll be saved because of your giving. I'm just saying it's a principle that works. When you do good to others, then they'll do good to you. It's a principle that works. You know, if you, wanna, if you want friends, show yourself friendly. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. Do you understand where I'm coming from? It's, it's a revelation that works whether you believe God for your salvation or not. There's some principles that God has put into action that it's going to happen. When you, when you participate in it, you get the blessings from it. And they begin to see that. There's people in history, great preachers, great historians, that they said the word of God was revealed to them. We could talk about preachers like D.L. Moody said the Bible was not given for our information but for our transformation. Amen to that. C.H. Spurgeon said a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Yeah. 
Billy Sunday said, the reason you don't like the Bible, you old sinner, it's because it knows all about you. Currently living, James Merritt, a great preacher, the primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. Or we could go back in time. Abraham Lincoln said, take all that you can of this book, the Bible, upon reason, the balance on faith, and you will live and die a happier man. But for this book, we could not know right from wrong. Abraham Lincoln said that. I know a lot of preachers that don't say that today. He said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through the Bible. Patrick Henry said, there is a book worth all other books which were ever printed. George Washington said, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president of the United States, said, when you have read the Bible, you know the word of God because it is the key to your heart, your own happiness, and your own duty. Theodore Roosevelt said, a thorough understanding of the Bible is better than a college education. Horace Greeley said it's impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork for human freedom. Another great theologian said all scripture is God breathed and he doesn't waste his breath. Billy Graham said the Bible is the constitution of Christianity. Sam Jones said sin will keep you from the book. But this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin. Amen. Daniel Webster said, education is useless without the Bible. We wonder why we're in such a shape. Because now it's a prime target to get the Bible out of our children's hearts when they're educated. Get the Bible out because you can't build a false foundation as long as the Bible is there. Sir Walter Scott, he was that great poet and novelist. He was near his deathbed. His son-in-law Lockhart was there beside of him. And he looked to Lockhart during those days, they didn't have medications for people in their dying hours. They could communicate well. And he looked to Lockhart and he said, son, please bring me the book. Sir Walter Scott had a library of hundreds and thousands of books. His son-in-law said to him, sir, but which book shall I bring? Sir Walter Scott said, there is but one book. He went to his library and immediately he saw center shelf, eye level, his Bible. He brought it to him. He took the Bible in his arms as he was dying and said, that's the book. That's the book. It doesn't do any good to lay it on your chest in your coffin if you don't put it in your heart while you're living. You can't have a belief system without the Bible. We ought to commit ourselves today as we have never committed ourselves before to learn what this book has to say.